You know, God is good. I think of, of the Ten Commandments. That's what we're going to be studying for the next probably couple of months. There's, there's ten of them, so if you do one a week, it's going to take a couple of months, uh, a little longer. But uh, it's, it's a directive God gave us. And sometimes there's a lot of people that say, oh, I don't like commandments. I don't like laws because they restrict what I can do. They take away my freedoms. But I think what we're going to find is that they are uh, an evidence of God's love for us. And they give us greater freedom. I believe uh, I, I entitled this whole series The Law That Liberates because it really does. And it gives us freedoms we wouldn't have otherwise. So it is, is very important. Let me give you two scenarios, though. When we begin to think of uh, commandments and laws and regulations and what you can and cannot do, let me give you two moms, okay? Two moms and their sons. Sons are first graders. They're coming home from school. One little boy, he burst into the door, we'll call him Pete, and uh, Pete runs in the door and he's headed for his room and his mother hears the door close and she's sitting at her normal place during that time of day. She's in her recliner watching TV. I don't know uh, what favorite judges are out there. It used to be Judge Judy, but I don't watch most of those. Or she may be watching uh, Family Feud or something like that. You know how that goes. And She's got her feet up and she calls out, is that you, Pete? Yeah, Mom, it's me. Keep it down. I'm watching TV. And when you come through here, don't go between me and the television because if you do, you're going to get it. And Pete knows exactly what she's saying. Wow, that's kind of a tough mom. Uh, we might call that tough love or something. I'm not sure that love's there. But the other one, John comes home. He's first grade too. The door opens, closes, and uh, smells this aroma about the time he's headed for his room and it just kind of goes like this and he heads for the kitchen because you see his mom's in there and she's baking chocolate chip cookies and he loves her chocolate chip cookies they are so good and she says hi John did you have a good day oh yeah it was a good day baking cookies mom he knows she's baking cookies yeah baking cookies John she turns to look the other way and he begins to reach and she says do not touch that do you know moms have eyes back here they can they see all that and she said do not touch that the cookie sheet is still hot I just got it out of the oven and you'll get burned two negative directives one was from a mother who was very self-centered and selfish and really wasn't concerned about her child she didn't even get up to say how was your day at school and how are you doing and boy it's sure good to have you home the other mom was in baking cookies, and I'm sure that she was baking them with John in mind. She thought about the fact that he'd love these cookies, but she also told him not to touch. Not because she wasn't going to give him a cookie, but because the cookie sheet was hot. And she didn't want him to get burned. Both were negative commands, but one was given out of selfishness, and one was given out of love. And uh, the motivation for why we tell our kids what to do is so important. And the motivation for why God gave us the Ten Commandments is important. We need to understand that. Or we begin to think there are just a lot of rules and regulations and legalisms that God's trying to force upon us to keep us from doing what we want to do, and that's not true. I, I think of the Ten Commandments, and it's probably one of the best known passages or statements from the scriptures. If you were to talk about the most important laws in scripture, we would go back to uh, probably Mark chapter 12 or Matthew chapter 22, where 
lawyer came to Jesus and he says, which is the greatest commandment of all? Which is the one that we really need to follow? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, everything you've got. And then he said, there's a second one that's like it, and that means you love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, and on these two, all the other commandments hang. They all fit into those two, to love God, to love your neighbor. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, now they are uh, another statement. It expands that, and what you're going to find is in the first four commandments, it says, love God. And in the last six, it says, love your neighbor. And they're positive. They're not negative. They're to build us up, to bring us where we should be. And so I want to read these for you this morning. We're going to start with Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read through the 17, first 17 verses. And then I'm going to come back, and we're just going to focus as we begin our study, uh, setting a tone for the study of the Ten Commandments with verse 1 and 2. So uh, let's begin with, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord our God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and in in the opposite case, your neighbor's husband doesn't say that, but we can put that in there. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray that you just open our hearts. We know the Ten Commandments. We've heard them. We've, they're in some courthouse walls. Some cities have them out in monuments become a bone of contention in America whether they should be up or they shouldn't be up. This morning and and for the next several months, we just want to look at them and see how they pertain to us. Given to the nation of Israel, but certainly they relate to us as well. And so help us to see how they fit into our lives, how how they practically are part of who we are. And uh, 
Just open our minds to receive what you have for us, our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the Ten Commandments are an amazing statement of, of how to live. I was living, listening to a pastor this morning, and he said they are the foundation for the jurisprudence of our nation. They are the foundation for the law and the legal system that we have. And yet, as you listen today, the courts are being filled with people that are coming and saying, we want them removed from our courthouses. We want them to be removed from our cities, from our towns. And uh, so there is a legal battle going on as to whether they should be there or not. But I want to just give you uh, an introduction into what we're going to be studying, just to begin to get an idea of where we're going with this this morning. And we're just going to look at the first two verses, and it begins in verse 1, and it says, uh, Then God spoke these things, or these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And uh, as, as we look at it this morning, I want to give you three principles concerning the... Uh, the Ten Commandments, three principles that I believe are very important for us to realize. And the first one is that they are a divine command. They are a divine law. It says, I am the Lord. And, you know, we looked at that verse, that, that word, it's Yahweh. I am the Lord your God, Elohim. I am the strong one. I am the one who doesn't depend on anybody else. I am the one who created all things. I brought everything into existence. These are my commands. And so they're laws that came from God. They didn't just come from a couple guys getting together and saying, boy, how are we going to run things in this city? Or how are we going to run things in the county or the state or uh, in our nation? They came from God. And because they came from God, they don't change. Have you ever noticed how... <laughs> Laws that are created by men change. All you have to do is listen to what's going on in America today, and they're continually trying to change laws that were established. Some people just not obeying them, saying they don't matter, they're not important. And yet when God gave us a law, he was the creator of the universe, and what he gave was consistent for all time. It doesn't change. There's no other document really like the Ten Commandments when it comes to a legal document. It's Being God-given, it's, it's interesting. He almost wrote it down with bullets. It was so succinct. It was just boom, 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 boom. Here it is. I, I copied a, a quote, and it's, it's an interesting quote because it has to do with the length. Now, the length doesn't necessarily mean that the Ten Commandments are divine, but they are, but it, it, it's... God doesn't kind of give us all this wordiness. Here's what the quote says. It ranks with the great documents of history in size. The more unimportant things seem to... The more unimportant things seem to take man more words to say. For instance, the Ten Commandments contains 297 words. I, uh, I counted them in my New American Standard. It was 293. I went back to my Hebrew Bible, which we will get two or three words from one word, and it was 142. So boom, 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 there it was. The Bill of Rights is 463 words. The Gettysburg Address is 266 words. The Federal Directive to Regulate the Price of Cabbage is 26,911 words. 
That's how man does it. You know, I don't know that there is a federal directive on how much cabbage should cost, but this person quoting uh, made this statement. That's what he said. I did look up. I didn't look up the words. I looked up the Obama, the, the uh, pages for Obamacare, 20,000 pages for Obamacare. You see, we, uh, we tend to get a little bit wordy in terms of the things we want to say rather than boom, 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 here it is. And uh, I think sometimes we have lawyers that do it, and it's legalese, and I can't understand it anyway. But uh, God, when he gave us this, it was clear, it was straightforward, it was a statement of what we are to do. It's perfect. Perfect. It's a perfect legal statement because God's perfect. Changeless, timeless. It isn't going to change. After 3,400 years, it's still the same. It hasn't changed. And uh, we look at that, and it is foundational to what we believe is the law today. Well, why did he give it to us? Why do we have this? It's in the book. Well, one reason is that we might know him a little better. Because it's, it's a uh, legal document that is that's perfect, it's holy, God's holy. If you keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, you'll be sinless. The problem is none of us can. We, we don't do that. But it, it, it is, it's a holy document. Uh, I think it's it, something that the Israelites really needed. Uh, they didn't understand who God was probably at that point. They had been... If you recall, they, they were with Moses. Moses had gone into the land of Egypt. He had brought them out. They had been there for 400 years. And during that time, they had adopted many of the gods of the Egyptians. They had adopted the practices of the Egyptians. They didn't really have a handle on who Yahweh was anymore. They knew that there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they knew that there was this, this God, Elohim. But to say that they really understood him. And so this is a, this is a holy document. It's a... It, it, it describes who God is. But they needed to have some way to get to know him. Uh, you remember the situation with Jessie Dugard? I believe that was her name. She was kidnapped, and uh, she was held prisoner in Antioch. <laughs> A great place to have her, my city, where I'm living. But uh, she had two children while she was there in captivity. And when she was set free, she went home to be with her parents the interesting thing is her children didn't know anything about her parents other than what she'd told them. They had a little bit of an understanding, but they didn't really know them. They didn't know the restrictions in the home. They didn't know the expectations. And I think for the Israelites, it was kind of like that. It had been 400 years since they had really been spending time with God and what God had to say, and they had been separated from him. And now they come together, and God says, I'm a holy God. And I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be like me. And so when he got to Ten Commandments, that helped them to understand that. And that should help us to understand who God is as well. We don't study them very often. In fact, when I actually did this study years ago, and I've gone back and I'm reworking it and, and going through it. But when I did that study, I went to bookstores. I, I went online. I went to CBD. And there were very few books written on the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's something that we just don't spend a lot of time at. We say, oh, that's Old Testament. That's not for us. And that's not true because, see, Old Testament things oftentimes carry through and they touch our lives. And we need to know what they say. And uh, so, number one, it, it helps us to understand who God is. It helps us to understand how God wants us to live. It gives direction. 
back in the book of First Peter, chapter 15 and 16, or verses 15 and 16 of First Peter 1. It says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, you shall be living a sinless life, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You're to be like me. I don't think the laws themselves motivate us to be holy or to even keep them. Uh, but because God gave them. Because God loves us. Then we want to live the way he wants us to live. Then we want to be the people that God wants us to be. It's a, it's a standard to follow. And, and we need standards. We need guidelines. We need something. Our, our children need standards and guidelines. If you, if you say, oh, I'm just going to let them do whatever they want. You know, we've got this kind of a free attitude. Your kids are going to struggle. They, they need to have boundaries set up for them in terms of how to live and what to do and what's expected and what's okay and what isn't. The hard thing for children today and young people today is that the boundaries they may get in your home will probably be bound different than the boundaries they may see on television or they may get at school or anyplace else. And so they need to understand what's right and what's acceptable and what isn't. We need to have that, that line, that standard we follow. It's kind of like when you're driving down the road. I heard they're going to change the paint for the stripes in the road so that you can see them better. I forget how many millions and billions of dollars that's going to cost us. But anyway, they're going to change them. Now, you understand how important that line is, don't you? Because if you're driving down it and you cross over that line, you may hit someone head on, and that could be the end of both of you. So you don't want to go that way, but if you go too far this way, well, you could end up in the ocean or any place else. You go off a cliff. It's, it's dangerous. So you want to ride with that line just here to the left of your car. It's there by the driver's side. I remember as a young man, I was learning to drive, and I lived in southern Oregon. Medford has a lot of what they would call that Thule fog. You all know what that is? It is like soup up there. It is so thick. And we would go out at night, and when you were driving in that fog, and especially when I was just learning to drive, wow, I wanted to see those lines because you couldn't see beyond one, the next line. And so it was just boom, boom, boom. If the lines disappeared, you were in trouble. I remember we had a youth pastor up there, and he said it was so scary because one night he was driving along and the lines disappeared. He found out later he was on the opposite side of the road. He'd gone through the intersection, and there weren't any lines, and he'd veered across. See, we need a standard, and God gives us that standard with the Ten Commandments. He tells us how to live and what he expects. Another reason that we have the Ten Commandments is because they... Show us what's sin. The law demonstrates what sin is. You go back to the book of Romans. Let me just go and read this verse for you. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, we're not saved by the law. That's not the idea. You're not going to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. What they're going to show you is that you're not perfect and can't be saved otherwise. There's a different way. It says... Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's how we begin to find out that we're not perfect. We have a standard and we realize that we oftentimes don't 
live up to what we're supposed to be. Um, the Bible teaches us how to have salvation. Back in Galatians chapter 3, in the 24th verse, it says, The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Because of the law, realizing we're unacceptable, it gives us direction in terms of how to come to the Lord and so that we may be justified not by keeping the law, but by faith, by coming to God in faith. But we need to understand our need. I think that's one of the greatest problems today is that we have been convinced that we are all good people. Our culture and society says, yeah, we're basically good. We don't need anyone or anything else, and yet the Bible tells us that's just the opposite of what's true. That our lives are such that we do need someone else. We do need something else, but we don't get to him by being good. We get to him by receiving him by faith. And that's where the standard is. And so the law sets that standard. It draws us to him. So the law is divine. It comes from God. Number two, it's, I believe, a loving law. It, it's given out of love. It's like the mother that was making the cookies for her son. Didn't want him to get burned, so she said, don't touch it. But it wasn't because she was trying to deprive him. She was trying to keep him safe. And the law does that for us. It's, it's, uh, there is a relationship here, uh, an intimacy here between the God who gives us the law and ourselves. It says in verse 2 again, I am the Lord, your God. There we get that. But in between Lord and God, it is your. There is an intimacy. There is a personal God. Do you think about God as being personal during the day? Do you think about your loving Heavenly Father who cares about you and he's with you? And he's there to take care of you and take you through the hard times as well as the great times. We need to see God in that way. I, uh, you know, when Jesus, they came to Jesus and they said, Master, teach us to pray. We're not sure how to pray. John's disciples were taught by him how to pray. That's John the Baptist. You teach us to pray. And, and do you remember how Jesus started that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven. He didn't say he's your father or somebody else's father or he is a father. It says he's our father. He's my father. They use that term Abba, which means daddy. Like we would have a child that would come up and say daddy, and it's, it's a term of endearment. And it's, it's our father who art in heaven. And, and it talks about here that he is your father. And I, I believe that as, as he gives us the law, it is it is... Summed up by one word back in, in Romans again in the 13th chapter. Listen to the statement here. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 8 through verse 10, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That's all. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In verse 9, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder you shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this, saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law is a statement of love. It's the way we're to love others. It's the way that God loves us. Uh, 
let me just say, if, if you do anything, whether it's in the Scripture or any, in your life, and it's apart from love, it, it's meaningless. There's no basis for it. Um, you can do things because somebody says you have to, but they really have very little impact on you or impact on God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels... If I keep all the Ten Commandments, I could say that, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can foretell the future, or if I can clearly speak the Word of God, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, Paul says, I'm nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, there's no profit in that. You see, to, to legalistically just keep the law because that's the rules and that's the reason that I do it is because somebody tells me that's what I've got to do, it, it, it's meaningless. That's where legalism in the church is a problem because somebody comes up and says, here's rules. But you're not doing it for the right reason. You see, we're only doing them because somebody says we have to do them. You know, I, I think a person could be a, a great Bible student. Oh, man, they can study the Bible. But if they aren't doing it because they love God and they love their neighbor, then it doesn't do any good. You can have a great preacher. You can have a person that would stand up in the pulpit and present the Word of God, and if he's doing it simply as an academic exercise because that's what he's got to do and that's what he gets paid to do. It's worthless, meaningless. You see, we, we do what we do or we're to, to do them because of the fact that we love. It, it says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything. Love your neighbors, yourself. That's, that's the totality of the Ten Commandments. Don't get so caught up with them that you miss out on the point that it's to be done because you love God and you love others. And when we get into the Ten Commandments and we begin to talk about what it says about our relationship with our spouse and our family and our neighbors, it needs to be done for the right reason, the right motivation, and that's really kind of what I want to get to this morning. Is it unified whole? If you blow it in one area, you might say you're a pretty good person. You blow it in one area. Guess what? You still broke the law. How many of you think you're lawbreakers? Not in terms of the Ten Commandments, but, you know, lawbreakers in our culture. How many of you are, are people that break the law? Some of you aren't sure. Wow. How many of you were driving down to church this morning on the bypass and where it says 55, you were still going 65 or 70? I raised my hand. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so if you break it in one area, the Bible says that you have broken the law in every area. If you break the law in the Ten Commandments, you mess up in one area. You've messed up in all of them. Listen to what it says in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet messes up in one point, one stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. 
And it's very easy to become kind of self-righteous. Do you notice that? We can look at other people and say, I'm better than they are. But if you messed up in one point, you've messed up. See, that's what it says here. It's a, it's a unified whole. We put it all together and we realize that if we're to live for God, we need to be keeping all of the law. And none of us are perfect. It just shows us that. When God gave, uh, gave us the law, it was for our protection. I really believe that. It was motivated by his love for us. Just like that mother that told her son not to get burned on the cookie sheet. She was concerned. She was motivated to protect him. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see that for us. We're going to see that God gave them for our benefit and to protect us. I think a lot of people say they don't want to become Christians because if they become Christians, there's too many restrictions, too many expectations. People tell you not to do this and not to do that, and God lays out all these rules and regulations. They're for our benefit. And when we keep the law, this is the third thing I want you to get. Number one, the law is divine. Number two, the law is, is given to us out of love and to be fulfilled in love but number three is it's it's responsive we respond to the love of God listen to what he told the nation of Israel he said verse 2 of Exodus chapter 20 again it says I am the Lord your God it's it's divine it's intimate who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery for the Israelites boy they should have understood that and yet they continue to break the law they didn't follow it. They were messed up in terms of the law. They were continually doing things that were outside of the will of God. The Bible called them a stiff-necked generation, a stiff-necked group of people. And yet God loved them so much, just like he loves you today and just like he loves me today. And we need to understand that, that God loves us, he cares for us, and he gives us this for our protection. But the reason we keep the law is not for salvation. Salvation is for by grace you're saved through faith. It's a, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. It's not a result of keeping the law that nobody can boast and say, wow, look how great I am. We're saved by faith. But when you look back, it says in Colossians chapter 1.13 that God reached down when he brought us to him into the very domain of darkness and drew us up out unto himself and the reason we do the things that God wants us to do is in a response to his love in a response to what he did for us if you cannot comprehend what he did for you then you fail to understand what he has to say it's interesting to me when when God brought the Ten Commandments when you have a lot of people living together if, if you're going to get along, you have to have understanding of what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable and what you can do and what you can't do. And uh, so it, it's important that we understand that. As the nation of Israel was coming together, boy, before they went into slavery, they were a, a family. Abraham was grandpa and great-grandpa and Isaac and Jacob, and then there was Joseph and the other boys, and and they had their families, and there was a relationship, and they didn't have to have all these laws. But God worked this way. He would give uh, an economy, a dispensation, 
as, as things would change. And when they came out, they were 2 million people. Well, you've got to have some rules and regulations if you're going to function effectively. We've got to have laws in America, and we have to have people to enforce them if it's to work and function effectively. And so he gave them the laws, starting with the Ten Commandments and then uh, oh, a lot of laws. You begin to get into the book of Exodus, you follow along, and you're going to find that there are law after law after law that God gave them. But just as Israel was to keep the law because of what God had done for them, that's our motivation, to realize that God saved us, that God cared for us, and that he met a need, and uh, he changed our lives. I, uh, I know today that God changes lives because I've seen it. I've seen it with me. I've seen it with people in this church. I've seen it with others that I've come in contact with. When they begin to follow after God, he's changed them. But the first thing they have to do is they have to commit their life to him. If that hasn't happened, then they don't have that relationship. The intimacy is not there. The, the laws probably are meaningless to them. In the book of Titus, in chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, it says, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're justified by grace. We're justified by faith. In 1 John 4.19, it makes another statement, though. In 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Our, our love for God and for others is motivated by, by what he did. There's no other reason to really keep the laws other than the fact that we respond to God. And if we're not doing that, then we're keeping them for the wrong reason. They just become a legality. They become a burden. They become hard. We need to understand that before we ever have the law, we have the free gift that God gives us. I remember talking to a young woman years ago. She was taking lessons from a cult, and she actually wanted to go to a ball game. It was a, on a Sunday, I believe, and she said, oh, I want to go to the game so bad. But they've told me if I do that, I might not go to heaven. It was all about works. That's what most other religions teach. They teach you've got to be a good person. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And yet God says, you have a relationship with me because I loved you first. And I sent my son to die for you, and he changed your life. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, first thing you need to realize is they're given to us by God. The second thing we need to realize is that he gave them out of love for us, not because he just wanted to put a burden on us, not because he wanted it to be hard. And then the third thing is the reason we keep them is we respond to his love. He loved us first. Jesus made a statement. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you really love me, you're going to do the things I ask you to do because it's going to change your life. It transforms us. When I was a boy... That, that the law is 
what ties us to God in doing his will. But when I was a boy, I, uh, I liked to fly kites. We had a, a neighborhood, a neighbor had a big pasture, and all the neighborhood kids would go out there. And how many of you like to fly kites? Not many of you. That's too bad. It's a good thing. Anyway, we would go out there, and we would take those kites, and we had the diamond-shaped ones that were like that, the old diamond-shaped ones with the tail on it, or we'd have a box kite, or they came out with the Roomba kites about that time, too. I found one in a tree. Somebody lost it. That was great. And uh, anyway, we'd put those things up there, and you'd have a ball of string, and you'd get up there as high as it would go with that string, and there it was, and it was tied to that string. And the one thing that tied me to that kite was the string, Kind of like what ties us to God doing his will is keeping his commands. But it wasn't high enough, so I got another ball of string and I tied it on that one. And it still wasn't high enough, so I got another ball of string. Do you know that string isn't very thick? It's kind of light stuff. You can break it. And, and that kite was getting up there, and it was way up there now. You could just see the speck of it. Several balls of string on there. And it broke. What do you think happens to a kite when the string breaks? Totally free, unfettered, nothing holding it at all. And you would think that kite would go higher and higher and higher. But when there's no string on the kite, it begins to fall. And within minutes, it just kind of comes like this until it hits the ground. And we'd have to go see if we could find it. We lived out there in kind of the country. There were woods and it may be in a tree. It may be on the ground. It may be anywhere. A lot of times we wouldn't find them. But you see, our relationship with God kind of has to do with that law that ties us to a relationship with him. It makes our life positive. Without it, we just kind of go like this. And people think, if I'm just free from God, if I can just make all my own decisions, if I can do my own thing, wow, I'll fly, I'll soar. We have a nation today that is no longer walking with God in the way it once did. And we see the problems. We see the issue of drug abuse. We see the issue of broken marriages. We see families that are shattered. We see kids without moms and dads at home. We see people that are broken because of relationships that are broken. Don't tell me what to do. I just want to make my own decisions. But our own decisions are so destructive. It's only as we come back and we realize that God set a standard for us to live by that we can have the positive lives that we're seeking, that we want. And so we have the Ten Commandments. We have the rules. We have the regulations. We go back to them. And, and they give us that yellow line in the road. They give us that standard to follow. And they hold us in check. As we look through the Ten Commandments, I hope that it's beneficial for you as we look at how those things relate to our lives and how they make a difference in terms of who we are. There's a lot of other commands in Scripture. They all kind of fall into the category of the Ten, and the Ten fall into the category of love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of them are <laughs> caught up in that one big package. But as we study through the Ten Commandments, I, I would trust that it would be beneficial for you.
as you begin to think in terms of these are not just rules and regulations God's laying on me, but they're an evidence of his love for how he wants me to live so that I might have a more fulfilled and complete life than what I have on my own when I make the decisions that are apart from him. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I think people struggle with the idea that there are rules and regulations today. We just want to be free. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do or how to do it or when to do it. And we all have that, that attitude at some level or another, Father. And yet we realize that when we live unfettered lives, lives without direction, lives without guidance, we get ourselves in trouble. Our families get in trouble, Father. Our nation gets in trouble, Father. Help us to understand your will. Help us not to fight against the things that you have given to us, but rather to live in accordance with what you desire, that our lives might be enhanced and we might become more the individuals you want us to be. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've given to us. Thank you for the book the word of God, which sets a tone for us. I pray for each individual here today, Father, as they come, that they would, they would be part of this study and they would learn and, and their lives would be enhanced and better. Their families would be better. Thank you, Father, for what you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.